It has been a while since I have stood here at All Saints to share with you God's Word. The last time I was here, we were still under some of the pandemic restrictions, and there were still flight paths taped out on the floor for coming up to receive communion. So, I praise God, as I'm sure you do, that those days seem to be receding into the past. Hallelujah. This morning, I would like to speak with you out of Peter's first letter. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, there's a few in the pews. It's on page 1014 in the pew Bible. If you're flipping through and you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. Just go back about four books and you'll find 1 Peter. <clears throat> the reason I'd like you to have it in front of you is because we're going to be talking about the first couple of verses out of this selection today. Verses 3, 4, a little bit of 5. And this morning, I would like to speak with you about having a living hope, a living hope. Now, I invite you as we begin to do this, think about some time in your life when you were really, really looking forward to something. Maybe it was a special vacation trip. Maybe it was your first time going to Walt Disney World. Maybe it was your birthday party or a fabulous party being thrown by a friend. Whatever it was, maybe it was a special visit from beloved family or friends. Maybe it's something a little closer to home. Maybe you were hoping to get admitted to that certain school or college or graduate program. Maybe you were looking forward to your first job, hoping that you would find great fulfillment in that work. Maybe... You were looking forward to a well-deserved retirement, free from the daily grind of that first job. In all of these cases, you were experiencing hope. Hope is always looking forward to something that is in the future. You don't have it yet, you're hoping it comes. And then, think about some time when you were really hoping for something and something happens, and for whatever reason, you didn't get it. Got one of those? Maybe you got sick. Maybe the stock market tanked and all of your money disappeared. Maybe you got fired. Maybe you didn't pass the test. Maybe somebody had to cancel at the very last minute for whatever reason. Maybe the car broke down and all your vacation money had to go to getting it fixed. Been there. And what did you experience? You experienced disappointment. Disappointment is a dead hope. It's the opposite of a living hope. It means that whatever it was you're looking forward to didn't happen. It didn't come and you felt that disappointment inside. Sometimes our disappointments can be so extreme that they can affect us for the rest of our lives. We lose hope that something good is going to happen. Now, I submit to you 
that everyone over the age of five has experienced disappointment at some level. They've experienced a dead hope, sometimes very extremely painful. My oldest grandson is three, and he has already experienced disappointment. And I remember the day it happened. I don't remember what, what it was he was looking forward to, but I remember his mom having to tell him it's not going to happen. And just the look on his face of disappointment. And I grieved for him because I've been disappointed. And I know what it feels like. It's no fun. And yet, fortunately, being three, he bounced back real quick. God gives grace to the very young. But sometimes our disappointments can be so huge or we've invested so much into the hope that when we lose it, it again, it can affect us sometimes for the rest of our lives. But that's not what St. Peter is discussing in his letter. He says, we are born again into a living hope. Look at verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's the middle phrase. <clears throat> Make a note. Let me share a, a secret all preachers have. All preachers want you to think that they are fluent in Greek and Hebrew and that we have an inner, an inner way to pull the meaning out of the text. So here we have in English a word translated from the Greek as living, living hope. Let me tell you, the Greek word is a word which means something that's living. No big mystery. It's actually one of the easiest words to translate from Greek into English. It's something that is alive, the opposite of something that is dead. What this means is this hope that Peter is writing about is something living and alive, growing and flourishing. To be a living hope means that it does exist at some level of reality and that those who have this hope can rest assured that they will obtain it. Did you note that? Those who have this living hope can rest assured that they will obtain it. It's not a trick or an illusion or wishful thinking or a pious wish. It is a bedrock reality in the kingdom of God that those who look forward to this hope will obtain it. Now, in the same way, the word hope in Greek, complicated word, it means hope. The translators got it right. There's no mystery. The dictionary definition of hope is this. Hope is the desire for something good with the expectation of obtaining it. You're looking forward to it. You're pretty sure you're going to get it. Well, here, this hope that Peter is writing about, you're looking forward to it with the sure and certain expectation that you will get it. In short, 
A living hope is a hope, a desire for the future that is alive, it is real, it is growing, and it can be obtained and will be obtained by those who truly long for it. Now, let's skip ahead a little bit to verse 4. What is, what is it that we're looking forward to? Peter writes this, We are looking forward to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There it is. What are we hoping for? We hope for heaven. We hope for eternal life. We hope for a place where death no longer exists. We hope for a spot in God's eternal kingdom where things last forever and the heartache and heartbreak of this life become a very distant memory. An inheritance that is imperishable. That means it lasts for all eternity. It can't die or spoil or go bad or rust away. This inheritance is unlike anything you will ever own here on earth. Think for just a minute about the mummies they keep digging up over in Egypt. My wife and I and my daughter, last year, we went down to National Geographic. They had this incredible exhibit about King Tut and all of his wealth and all of his riches. And they had pictures and murals and they had displays and they had some of the things that they actually pulled out of his tomb on display there. But guess what? King Tut was still dead. And all of those things that were buried with him that the people of that era thought you would need to enjoy the afterlife were still there. They were rotted. They were decayed. And they are now useless except as things to be studied as we try to understand what life was like thousands of years ago. It's still the same today. We may have different or fancier things, but the fanciest car you can buy will one day rust away. Your finest clothes will one day be threadbare and fall to bits. Your all-important phone will eventually break or wear out. The battery's going to die, and it will stop working. Everything in this life eventually perishes. It's the nature of life on earth. But our inheritance is imperishable. It doesn't decay. It doesn't rust. This is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because it's eternal. It's imperishable. It never decays. It is also undefiled. Sin and evil cannot touch that inheritance. It is unpolluted. It is pure. It is clean. And it is unfading. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't wear out. Now, I have here in my hand a silver chalice that I picked up somewhere in my travels the last few decades. Uh, I have never used this chalice to serve communion, which is probably a good thing if you can see its condition. Everyone on the altar guild had a gasp 
of despair when I pulled it out at the early service and said, we know how to fix that. Well, they do. I know how to fix it too. I just go to Home Depot or Lowe's, get a big bottle of Tarnex, fill it up, drop this in. Let it sit for a little while, pull it out, wipe it off. Oh, and it'll be lovely. It'll be just as bright and clean as the ones we're about to use for communion this morning. But there's a problem. I can do all of that, clean it all up, and in about two weeks, it's going to be tarnished again. It just keeps happening. Because that's the nature of life here. Things fade. Things perish. Things get tarnished. Things fall apart. Everything, everything fades, wears out, and dies. Even the valuable stuff. But think for just a minute. It's not so in the life of the world to come. Peter writes that all the good things that God has for his people are kept in heaven for us, waiting until we arrive. He is urging his readers to put their hope and trust and faith in the promises that God has made for all eternity. And he is telling us that it is a sure and certain thing that those who belong to Christ will get what he has promised. The things there are far more glorious than anything and everything in this world. One day, you and I can experience the thrill of stepping into that realm for ourselves and seeing for ourselves all the glory that God has prepared for his people. I would encourage you, let me encourage you, all of you who are literary junkies, pick up C.S. Lewis, two books. The last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle, the last chapter of the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia. That whole chapter is all the heroes arriving in heaven. And his descriptions are wonderful. The other one is a book he wrote long, long time ago called The Great Divorce. And it's not talking about divorce in marriage. He's talking about a theological divorce. But in it, the main character is exploring heaven for himself for the first time. I encourage you to read it. It's a short little book. You can read it about an hour and a half. And while they are speculative imaginations of what that inheritance looks like, I submit to you that they're a pretty good picture. And you can begin to get some sense of the anticipation that those who have this living hope will have. Now, how can we make this confident assertion? Well, let's circle back to 1 Peter 1, verse 3. The first verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Think about that for just a second. His great mercy. There's another little Greek word there, translated great. Some translations put it abundant. It means the same thing either way. There's more of it than you can imagine. 
God is merciful to all who put their faith in him. He goes on. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I submit to you, and what Peter is arguing here, is that because Jesus Christ got up from the grave that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, you and I have a living hope. People argue against Christ's resurrection ever since, but the records remain firm. Jesus got up, people. Jesus got up. And we celebrated that last week with big hoopla and a lot of fun and all kinds of good stuff. But I submit to you that today, the second Sunday of Easter, we begin to think about how does that work out in my life every day? Because no matter what happened, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the truth of the matter is Jesus Christ got up. Hallelujah. Oh, I didn't hear anybody. That's a little better. We'll try that again in a minute. Peter himself saw Jesus that first Easter Sunday in the evening. We just heard the passage from John's gospel. He was one of those who was there. He was there when Jesus walked into their gathering and proved to them that he is alive. He felt Jesus' hands. He saw his feet. He probably touched his side where the spirit had gone in. He heard Jesus speak. He saw Jesus eat. Jesus proved to them that he was not a ghost. He was not a hallucination. He was not a psychological event. He was alive. And guess what? He still is alive. Peter was there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus cooked breakfast for them after a fruitless night of fishing. Peter saw Jesus more than twice, more than half a dozen times, probably several dozen times over the course of those 40 days between Easter and the Ascension. Peter touched Jesus, spoke with Jesus, was reinstated by Jesus, saw Jesus when he ascended back into heaven. He knows what he is talking about as he writes to the churches. The first reading this morning, Acts chapter 2, is Peter's extended sermon where he lays out the whole gospel message and talks about the resurrection of Christ. The reason we have a living hope for heaven and eternal bliss in God's presence is because Jesus Christ got up from that grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, that's better. Peter was an eyewitness and testified to what he knew to be true. And guess what? Because he got up from that grave, Jesus is still alive today in all his majesty, pomp, and power. This is the key to the lesson today. The reason you and I have a living hope is because Jesus is still alive and he will keep his promises. Easter happened a long time ago, yes, but the result of that Easter Sunday in 33 AD is that Jesus Christ will never die again. He has conquered death once and for all time. This is why we have a living hope. Our Lord is still living and we will continue living 
even after these bodies we use die and disappear into the dust. So how does this come alive in our lives? How do we bring that into our present situation? Well, one of the keys is in 1 Peter 1, verse 5, where Peter writes of the church, of us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you know that? You are being guarded by God's power through faith. Faith is the key. Did you know that when someone places their faith and trust in Christ, it's not a one-way transaction from us to God. God comes and guards us by his power. You must believe that Jesus rose from the dead in order to be saved. St. Paul wrote about, the, wrote about that in Romans 10. He says, whoever would be saved must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the test. You must be firmly persuaded that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, sometimes I know people struggle with this. And sometimes people have intellectual arguments. Sometimes people have emotional issues, whatever. Let me encourage you. If you struggle with this, of having that sure faith, do this. Simply ask Jesus to make himself present to you. He will. If you ask, he will convince you of his resurrection. That happened to me. That was my story. When I was a kid, seven, eight, nine, ten, I used to cry myself to sleep at night, begging God to make himself real to me. God, if you're there, show yourself, speak to me, do something. And I prayed that prayer all through my adolescence. September 23rd, 1979, God answered that prayer. And I heard his voice. I was 19 at the time. So those of you who wonder how old I am, just do the math. And I heard his voice, and he called my name and spoke to me. And since that time, I have felt his touch too many times to doubt that he is alive. I have seen his form. No big shakes. Any of us can. Ask, ask, ask. Lord, show yourself to me. I saw him heal my legs 25 years ago. I'll tell you that story another time. He is very much alive. So we have a living hope because Jesus is alive today and will be for all time to come. And then beyond time, when this world and this universe finally collapse at the end of all things, Jesus Christ will still be alive. And through faith in him, you and I will still be alive with him. We have this living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you hearty thanks that by your great mercy, you have given us a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We thank you for the promises of heaven you give us through St. Peter and the other apostles. 
we thank you that you always deliver your promises. I pray for all of us here this morning and those who may be watching online. I pray that you will give all of us the faith that Peter mentions here. Build up our sure confidence in you that we may trust you through all the storms this life throws at us. Give all of us that settled conviction in your truth that when doubts come or enemies attack, we may turn to you and find again that living hope and comfort for our souls. Oh, Father, pour out your spirit on this church. May this church be known for its faith in you, its trust in you. Show yourself strong on behalf of your people here at All Saints. We thank you, Father. We ask these things in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and for his glory. Amen.